up, you stupid bastard! You've got no arms left! Yes, I have! Look! It's just a flesh wound. Wait a minute, 99. That gives me an idea. Great googly moogly. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're going to talk about political scandals. It's a topic that's fascinated me, especially over the past few years. But I've had political scandals influence life and politics throughout my life. And it's always interesting to me to see how they play out. There's an old song lyric, Some folks lust for power, money, love, or fame. And those are the things that always influence these political scandals. The lust for power, the lust for money, the lust for love, or sex, usually. Not so much love, but sex. And the lust for fame. A lot of times, sex is the focal point, but a lot of times, it's just power. I mean, if you look back to the Watergate scandal, which we'll talk about, power had everything to do with that political scandal. It was Richard Nixon wanting to stay in power. But so many times, sex is the motivating factor. Somebody wanting to have their sexual desires quenched. That's what leads to scandal. Now, sometimes that has hugely adverse effects on people, and sometimes it doesn't seem to matter. And the reason I'm bringing it up, of course, is Trump. I've made no secret about my feelings about Trump. We're not going to rehash that today. But it does amaze me what people just accept from him and he pays no price for when years ago, other people, having done far less, disappeared from political life. Now, I'm not going to talk about any of the stuff that he did in office for which he was impeached and for which he should have been convicted because the evidence was there. But politics being what it is, he wasn't. But I'm going to mention a couple of things. Each one of them separately, not that long ago, would have torpedoed any other politician's political career. You've got the Access Hollywood tape where he was recorded advocating for sexual assault because he was a star. I'm not going to repeat the language that he used. I find it offensive. There's no need to repeat it. We all know which tape we're talking about. We've got Stormy Daniels. It's not in dispute. He paid her $130,000 in exchange for an NDA regarding their affair back in 2006. And we'll call it an affair because basically that's what it was in its broadest sense. And yeah, there's no dispute about it. The receipts have been shown. It's been testified to. His attorneys have admitted it. He made the payments. Technically, the payments were made on behalf of him for which he reimbursed the payer. But it was done. It's not disputed. And then there's E. Jean Carroll, who won her civil suit, establishing that he had sexually assaulted her and had defamed her. So we have all of these things that are established to be true. Now, in past years, in a lot of cases, that would have been enough to torpedo his career, at least as a politician. These things would have mostly been disqualifying, but not for every person and not 100% of the time, which is the weird thing about politics. Because what I wanted to touch on today were some political scandals that, while they did ruin some people's careers, in other cases, the careers went on. It had no impact. Now, some of them are sexual scandals, but some of them are not. Now, sex has always been a big thing in politics. I think it's because there are so many fervent, true believers who get involved in political campaigns. Your heart's in the right place. You want to be involved. You want to make a difference. You believe in a cause. You believe in a person. And you put your heart and soul into that cause and into that person. And if somebody is a little less scrupulous than others and takes advantage of the fact that you're a true believer, stuff can happen. A prime example of this was a guy named Gary Hart. 
who was running for president back in 1988. He'd been in politics for years. He was one of the presumptive nominees for the presidency back in 1988. But there were some news reports that came out about Gary Hart being a womanizer, which back in the 80s meant he was fooling around. It's funny, we had all kinds of euphemisms back then. We didn't say he was cheating on his wife. We didn't say he was having multiple affairs. No, no, he was a womanizer. The one that ended his political career was basically the affair that he had with Donna Rice. Now, that's a name you can look up. I remember it. But for a lot of people, that name, Donna Rice, doesn't mean anything. But she was one of many with whom he had an affair. But it turns out that the press was basically keeping his affairs kind of under wraps. I mean, the reports went back to the 70s when he was a Democratic Party power monger. But when he became a presidential candidate in 1987, vying for the 1988 nomination, that's when the shit hit the fan, as they say. The stories of all of his affairs and his years of having affairs started to come out. For instance, he was working on the George McGovern campaign back in the 1970s. 1972, George McGovern was running for the presidency, going up against Nixon. And it was that campaign that gave us Watergate, by the way. But we'll get to that. But even back then, Gary Hart, who was working on the campaign, was screwing around with all of the college girls who were helping on that campaign. He would just randomly pick girls and go to bed with them. Now, he was able to continue getting re-elected to office in the 70s and the 80s. It wasn't until he ran a presidential campaign in 1988 that this history of affairs started to come out. A reporter for Vanity Fair, Gail Sheehy, filed the initial reports. And by the way, I don't think it's any coincidence that it was a woman reporter who broke these stories. All the guys were covering for this idiot. But when the news of his multiple affairs came out, he withdrew from running for president. And basically, we never heard from him again. He just disappeared. Another presidential candidate who bit the dust because of affairs? John Edwards. John Edwards was a two-time presidential candidate, and he denied having any affairs, initially. But it came out that he fathered an out-of-wedlock child with a woman who worked on his campaign. He initially denied it, but then when the evidence of the child came out, he kind of had to admit it. Turns out he had a multi-year affair while still married to his wife, who'd been struggling with cancer, and died. Sadly, she didn't die until after the affair came to light, and she wound up leaving him because of the affair. After he had to admit the affair, his political career died. He was done. Now, it's interesting that those two guys disappeared. Newt Gingrich is still around, although he's not in office anymore, but he proudly shows his face despite his sexual scandals and his affairs that are well documented. He was initially running for president back in the 1980s, withdrew when news of his affairs came out. Newt has been married three times. He began an affair with his second wife in 1980 while still married to his first wife. Then in the 1990s, while he was married to his second wife, He began an affair with somebody who worked on his staff in the House of Representatives. That staffer is now his third wife. He married her in 2000. Interestingly enough, he was having that affair while he was investigating President Clinton's affair with Monica Lewinsky, which is another sexual scandal we'll get to in a minute. So Newt Gingrich left office, but he's still out there preaching on how we should all live our lives because he's such a noble person. I mentioned the Bill Clinton-Monica Lewinsky thing. Clinton was president from 1992 through the year 2000. He was the subject of a lot of investigations, including a property deal known as Whitewater. You can look that up. That's different from Watergate, by the way. During the investigations of Whitewater, the quote-unquote independent counsel 
although there's some question as to how independent Ken Starr really was, but we'll save that discussion for another day. But Ken Starr found evidence that President Clinton had been involved in a sexual relationship with a White House intern. Now, Clinton initially denied the affair multiple times and vociferously. Ultimately, though, DNA evidence surfaced that basically proved that the affair happened, at which point he had to stop denying that the affair happened. That's where we get the famous debate, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. That's something that Clinton relied on in defending his statements. The House of Representatives, which was run by the Republicans at the time, impeached Clinton on the grounds of perjury and obstruction of justice. The Senate acquitted him. As an aside, that's the first impeachment that happened since the 1860s. Now impeachment is thrown around as an everyday thing that supposedly happens anytime anybody's pissed off at somebody else in office. And the grounds for that impeachment were just kind of ridiculous considering everything that's come before and everything that's come after, but whatever. Am I defending Clinton? Of course not. The dude was 40-something years old, fatutsin' around with a 20-something-year-old intern who didn't know any better. He shouldn't have taken advantage of her, and he did. He shouldn't have cheated on his wife, and he did. I'm not defending Clinton. But the whole impeachment process, I'm not sure that was entirely necessary under those circumstances either. But I digress. I'm just saying... Sexual scandals happen all of the time. And Clinton weathered that storm. Gary Hart didn't. John Edwards didn't. Newt Gingrich didn't really. Bill Clinton really did. Now, this next one isn't really a sexual scandal, although there's sexual innuendo with it. But I actually think it's worse because it involves a death. It may lose a little of its relevance as the years go by. But for when it happened, it was huge. Back in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the Kennedy family were like nobility. They were almost like a monarchy in this country. You had John Kennedy, who was assassinated. You had Robert Kennedy, running for president, also assassinated during his campaign. And you had their younger brother, Ted. And after Robert's assassination, Ted was going to be the next Kennedy to run for president and probably become president of the United States. Now, John had alleged sexual scandals. There was an alleged affair with Marilyn Monroe. I don't know that's ever been definitively proven, although there's enough evidence out there to suggest that it did happen. But back in those days, they kind of kept that under wraps. And they would have done the same thing for Ted, except for Chappaquiddick. They did a movie on Chappaquiddick. You can go look for it. There are several books about Chappaquiddick. Chappaquiddick is an island in Massachusetts. And back in 1969, Ted Kennedy was one of six married men who'd spent the day socializing with young female campaign workers. These political types surround themselves with young female campaign workers and nothing good comes of it. So Ted Kennedy was giving a ride home to Mary Jo Kopechny after this day of socializing. Ted was driving, drove off a bridge, the car went into the water, Mary Jo died in the car, drowned. Ted got out and swam for safety. He didn't report the incident for 10 hours. 10 hours. 10 hours later, he reported the incident to the police after seeking advice on what he should do. I mean, to a normal person like you and me, we know what to do. Get help. Like, right away. He claims he tried to save her, but he couldn't. He subsequently said that he'd been injured, was disoriented, wasn't quite sure what to do. Ultimately, he gave a televised statement, basically apologizing, without admitting any wrongdoing. He left his political fate to the voters of Massachusetts, and the voters of Massachusetts dutifully re-elected him to the Senate, election after election after election. He was a senator, so every six years he was up. And they kept re-electing him. But Chappaquiddick did stand in his way from ever becoming even the nominee for president. 
He wanted to be the nominee. He tried to become the nominee, running against Carter in 1980. Didn't get it. And Chappaquiddick was the biggest hurdle that he could never overcome. Now, was that truly a sexual scandal? I don't know. Married politicians without their wives and a bunch of young female campaign workers? If it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, I'm not going to guess that it's a zebra. But that's just me. Now, sex scandals are not unique to the 20th century or the 21st century. They go back to the 19th century. They go back further than that, but we're just talking about U.S. politics right now. Like the one from the 1884 presidential campaign of Grover Cleveland. Turns out that in 1874 or so, Grover Cleveland had fathered a child out of wedlock. The mother of the child was Maria Halpin. She was a widow. Now, Cleveland, to his credit, did acknowledge paternity. However, Cleveland, to his discredit, had Halpin committed to a mental institution and sent his son to an orphanage. That's probably not the best way to handle that kind of thing, but that's the way he handled it back in 1884. The news didn't come out until he was running for president, and of course it became a campaign issue. Cleveland was running against a fairly corrupt Republican candidate who was running ads with the tagline, Mama, where's my pa? Trying to implicate Cleveland in this scandalous behavior, which he kind of admitted. Naturally, the defense of Cleveland was that Halpin, the mother, was actually a prostitute, or at best, a harlot. And it turns out the Republican going up against Cleveland was also kind of a corrupt fool anyway. It even looks like he impregnated his wife before they were married, which, back in 1884, was just not something you did. The 1884 election was very, very close. Grover Cleveland did win. So, despite the sexual scandal, despite the out-of-wedlock child that he sent to an orphanage, he was able to weather the sex scandal storm. You think that one's good? We can go back even further into the 19th century for an even better one. During the 1828 presidential campaign, Andrew Jackson was trying to unseat John Quincy Adams. Now, Jackson's wife, Rachel, was a divorcee, which, back in 1828, was a rare thing. You didn't get divorces. You stayed married. So having Rachel as a divorcee was already kind of problematic for Jackson. Well, Jackson's opponents actually contended that Rachel was never divorced. She was still married to her first husband when she and Andrew Jackson got married. They called Rachel an adulterer, a bigamist, and a whore. And they said she was morally unfit to serve as a first lady. Morally unfit? I didn't know that was a requirement for the first lady to be morally fit, but okay. Now, Rachel's marriage to her first husband, a guy named Louis Robards, was absolutely an unhappy marriage, no question. But record-keeping being the way it was back in the late 18th and early 19th century, it wasn't entirely clear how Rachel's marriage ended. According to Louis Robards, Andrew Jackson stole his wife and took her to Florida. Andrew Jackson said he rescued Rachel from domestic abuse. Now, Robards said that he filed for divorce in 1790... The divorce wasn't final until 1793, and the divorce was granted on the grounds that Rachel had abandoned him to live in adultery. Meanwhile, Andrew Jackson claimed that they got married before they started living together, but the documentation of their marriage didn't happen until January of 1794. As you might imagine, this played out in the press. Don't forget, no internet in the 1700s or the 1800s. This played out in the press, back and forth, for literally months. Andrew Jackson finally did win the presidential election in 1828, but according to the reports, Rachel was so heartbroken by the attacks on her character that she died of a heart attack in December of 1828 before she could ever become first lady. So Jackson overcame the scandalous potential that was behind his marriage to Rachel, 
Sadly, Rachel didn't survive it. So, yeah, there have been a lot of sexual scandals over the years. Actually, over the centuries. People are always fascinated by them, with good reason. We all want to hear about other people's dirty laundry. But there have been other huge scandals in politics that have just killed people's careers. I mean, if you look at the granddaddy of them all, the Watergate scandal, that killed Richard Nixon's career. The only president to have to resign. I mean, he didn't have to resign, he chose to resign. But the way things were going, he was going to be impeached, and he was going to be removed from office after he was impeached. That's the way the impeachment process is supposed to work. You have to have a crime that's so egregious they're willing to impeach you, and that there's so much evidence of they're willing to remove you from office. Rather than put the country through that, Richard Nixon chose to resign. Now, you have to remember back in the 1970s, the country was going through a lot It was politically divided, not nearly as much as today, but the country was politically divided back then, in no small part because of what Nixon did to win the 1972 election. Now, it was a stupid thing. The whole scandal was a stupid little thing. It was a dumb little burglary. Nixon wanted to break into the Democratic National Headquarters and basically steal their playbook. That's what it was. That's what Watergate was all about. The Republican National Committee, which was basically run by Nixon and his cronies because he was already president and he was trying for re-election in 1972, they hired five guys to break into the Democratic National Headquarters. The headquarters were in a building called the Watergate Hotel. It was a complex that had a hotel and business offices. That's why it's called Watergate. They were breaking into the Watergate building. If you really want specifics, the anniversary of that break-in, June 17, 1972. So investigators were trying to track down what happened. How did this break-in happen? Who did it? Who was responsible? And the trail eventually led to Nixon's White House. Now, Nixon was incriminated by tape recordings of conversations that he kept of everything that was said in the White House and everything that was recorded on the telephones. That's a very, very shortened version of an investigation and hearings that took place over the course of two years after the break-in took place in 1972. The break-in took place in June of 72, Nixon resigned in August of 74. That's how long it took for that whole thing to play out. But that's a scandal that led to the end of a presidency. And it was all over stupid stuff. The crime was nothing. The crime was breaking into the Democratic National Headquarters. What killed Nixon was the cover-up. It's always better to just fess up. The cover-up is what made it worse. Now, the other big scandal of the past 50 years is the Iran-Contra affair. Now, the thing with the Iran-Contra affair is that it was discovered after it was all done and after all the players were out of office. So it didn't really have an impact on the careers going forward of very many people. People did get convicted of being involved in the Iran-Contra affair because it was an illegal thing, but it was one of those that was discovered after the fact. But if you hear about Iran-Contra, this is what it was about. There were two things that were going on. That's why it's called Iran-Contra. The first thing was the secret sale of weapons to Iran, which was part of an unsuccessful attempt to free some U.S. hostages held in Lebanon. That was part one. That's the Iran part of Iran-Contra. Secretly selling weapons to Iran, which was illegal. It was illegal under American law because of what had happened in Iran in the 70s when they took the American hostages back in the 70s. So the sale of weaponry to Iran was illegal. The second part was the use of the profits from those sales to provide military support to counter-revolutionary efforts in Nicaragua. The counter-revolutionaries were called Contras. So that's what Iran-Contra means. 
the two things, both of which involved illegal activities under American law, were being done as kind of a shadow government type of thing. They were going around Congress to get things done that they wanted to do. Who was doing this? Well, Ronald Reagan and George Bush, George Bush Sr. Oh, are you surprised? You shouldn't be. Reagan was trying to support the counter-revolutionaries in Nicaragua, but had been unable to persuade Congress to give him the funding he needed to support those Contras. So there were lots of layers to this scheme. There's no proof that Reagan actually knew what was going on with this. It was just happening, kind of behind closed doors, and supposedly without his knowledge. His vice president, George Bush Sr., was found to have no operational knowledge of this whole plan. Now, what is that a euphemism for? What does not having any operational knowledge mean? But he was never found liable or guilty of anything. The heavy in all this, the guy who took the fall for everybody, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. You've probably heard that name, and if you haven't, you can look it up. Ollie North was a big player in this whole thing, and basically the fall guy. The problem with this investigation is that they granted immunity to a lot of the players before they knew what their roles were. And the problem with immunity is once it's granted, you can't ungrant it. So a lot of the participants in this whole scheme got away with it because they got immunity in exchange for their testimony to explain what happened. As I said, this came out after everything had been done, so it didn't really wreck any political careers going forward. But boy, oh boy, it was a mess for a lot of people. And if you look up Iran-Contra, you will not be happy. Some people like to sweep it under the rug. I just find it symptomatic of everything that happened in the 80s that sent this country down a wrong road. But that's just me talking. What the hell do I know? So that's just some of the political scandals that have happened. Those are the juiciest ones, or at least the most familiar ones. I mean, we didn't even get into the Whiskey Ring scandal. That involved Ulysses S. Grant. We didn't get into Teapot Dome. That was Warren G. Harding. Oh, there's some good juicy stuff that has happened over the years. Some of it has derailed careers. Some of it has not. But it never ceases to amaze me what people try to get away with and what people actually get away with. It's pretty wild and pretty disheartening. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for being here. As always, I appreciate your time, and I appreciate you taking the time to be here. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.